Welcome to Into the Storm Leaders, the no BS podcast that ignites leadership potential and sparks innovation in the ever-evolving business landscape we all work in. I'm Joe Jurek, your host, joined by my co-host and Culture Shock senior coach, Pete Hansberger. Together, we embark on a journey to uncover the strategies, mindsets, and actions that drive truly exceptional leadership and winning culture. Whether you're an emerging leader looking to level up in your career or an accomplished executive seeking fresh perspectives, join us as we uncover inspiring stories and thought-provoking insights from proven leaders and share practical takeaways that enable courageous leadership. Get ready to charge into the storm and become a catalyst for better workplace culture. Welcome back to another episode of Into the Storm Leaders. Uh, We've got Joe Jurek, Pete Hansberger, my co-host, and we're pumped to have our guest today, uh, Nate Stansberry. Hi. Hey, excited to be Welcome. here. Thanks for uh, thanks for having. Me. We were just commenting uh, about the vulnerability uh, headphones, and uh, I said between that and the pink shirt, I'm sure the uh, listeners and viewers um, are are going to be in a good place. They're going to be ready to listen. Yeah. And, uh, for some ready. open and honest, <laughs> yes, you know, for some just open and honest conversation. I kind of feel a little bit like I'm in my 20s, and I'm cool now that I have these headphones on. You want, you've always been cool. Makes though. me feel younger. I remember when I was cool before I had kids. <laughs> oh, know. me too. Um, <laughs> I have a neighbor that says that to me every time I see him, pretty much. He's got four young ones, though. Whew. Say, man, I used to be cool. <laughs> yeah. You know what? Like, I think after, like, the second kid, like, it just, you become, you become immortal, you know? That's really the deal. You're a special type of human. Hmm. Uh, four kids, that's insane. See, I, I thought it. I was immortal in my earlier years, and then now that I have two kids, I realize how mortal I am more than... More Good than point. Else, right? How many do you have? I have two, two daughters. I'm done. I can't. I couldn't. Uh, I, you know, I'm at mental and physical capacity. The two right? daughter crew. Yeah, I've got two daughters as well. All right. Exactly. Way yeah. to go. Yep. My oldest is a daughter. My youngest is a boy. Okay. So four and a half. And mixed bag. A yep. Got a mixed bag. Right. I was sure it was going to be all girls. And my wife has three sisters. For sure. It's like, oh, we're definitely getting all girls, and I'm cool being a girl dad. Yeah. And then I got my little dude too. I was like, ah, oh, nice. You know, Good stuff. Um, well, folks, before we get too far into it, i uh, tell you a little bit about Nate and how I met him just a couple weeks ago. Pete can tell you more about how they've known each other and uh, his relationship with Culture Shock, but I was at an event called Talk and Talent in Rocky River. It was at the Cleveland Yacht Club, and Kimberly Dyer from our team was on the panel, so I wanted to go be a part of that conversation or really just learn and listen uh, to that conversation around attracting hiring and integrating top talent into your organization. Nate was one of the other speakers uh, on the panel that day. I took some notes, quite a few. Uh, He spoke fast. I tried to get what I could, but there were some sentiments. I was like, oh, man, we got to get together. You got to talk to our audience on this podcast because you seem like you generally knew what you were talking about, like you had some real world experience in these things right? uh, and a little bit of charisma to boot that made you easy to listen to. Uh, because you're a great storyteller. So hopefully, you know, we'll give you a platform to do some of that today, Nate. Well, we're going to try. We're going to try, right? Uh, I appreciate it. Um, a big fan of Culture Shock. Um, I've been involved with uh, Culture Shock probably over a decade now uh, with multiple companies. That's hard and, to believe. Yeah, right? <laughs> Come yeah. on. Hearing it out loud. Um but uh, how transformative uh, EOS, and even if you aren't you know, an EOS company, there's so many 
nuggets uh, that you can take away and, and really learn to be a better leader, to run a better business, and, and frankly, to be a better human, right? I'm sure there's things that uh, EOS uh, kind of bleeds into your personal life, I'm sure, every single day. Definitely. Yeah. It's, there were things that it just gave a common language to and an organization of things that I, I'd seen in some iteration or been exposed to in some you know, time in my life that the way that it just packaged them together, it's like, well, uh, it's simple, but boy, does it make a whole lot of sense, right? Right. right. Well, and at the event that we were at, you know, Joe came up to me toward the end of the event and said something like, we need to get Nate on the podcast. And I was just thinking, man, I, you know, all you saw tonight was just a slight taste or scratch of the surface of Nate. And I was like, there's so much more beyond what he was saying tonight. And even in that, that night, you showed a lot of authenticity in your answers and you were really trying to listen to the people who are asking the questions and ask follow-up questions you know, there was one guy pretty passionate about having a hard time finding talent, I think, in the accounting world. I had coffee with him, no joke, yesterday. Is that right? Yes. Well, and a lot That's of speakers awesome. would just yeah. give some sort of general answer back to that question or say, hey, have you tried putting it here or here And <laughs> in terms of the job description right. and a very generic response? But you asked him follow-up questions and they got more information and obviously you followed up. And so that authenticity is something that I think Joe recognized and it refreshed it for me because it's been a while since yeah. we've uh, we've been around each other. And I was thinking that would be the perfect podcast guest. And I'm excited to hear more about your history, right. things that I you know that we're not aware of. Setting the bar even high. Going back, perfect. I know podcast. <laughs> guests. I know. I, mean, I know. So far, you, you followed through with that guy. Yeah. Uh, and some would have seen him as almost a heckler mm. and be like, ah, I don't right. really want to address this, or I'll do so in some short brief manner, but the fact that you recognize he's in no, pain. He's a passionate business owner. The way that I was introduced to you, uh, yeah. I mentioned was that talking talent, right? We hit on some of your journey and how you got there. Mm-hmm. You Taylor, the team right. over at Rust Belt recruiting, right. you built something pretty awesome. Sure. Who's it for? What pain do you solve? What, what can you tell our listeners That's, who probably have uh, real who, need? Yeah. If you're a company that is constrained by the lack of talent or talent process. Um, What we've put together is a team of professionals who specialize in talent acquisition and are familiar with HR process from an industrial standpoint. And so we work best in environments that are within 150 miles of Cleveland, uh, roughly under 200, but you know, certainly can go above that. And obviously we work with plenty of companies that are under 50, right? Like even, even smaller, right? Like you just, the, you need to have the budget and the will and and all of that to, to get it through. Um, and then obviously we work specifically in that industrial sector every single day. The reason why we're there is we feel like manufacturing, construction, um, various, uh, more, hands-on essential industries that are really the the cornerstone of our region they haven't been approached uh at least by from the agency perspective um properly um we've commoditized this workforce and so your typical agency is approaching it as purely a transaction, a short term, you need X, Y, and Z. 
like warm, warm bodies. You need kind warm of thing. bodies. Let I'll me get, get to get those you. resumes. I'll uh, get to those interviews. And and subsequently, the the workforce again has adjusted so much. They are so better suited. They can sniff out bad opportunities. They felt marginalized maybe five, ten years ago. They don't feel that way anymore. And so as you or leveraged is a better word. Um, as you approach this workforce, you absolutely need to respect and treat them not not like a commodity. You have to give them a, a white glove service. Um, and, and you need to also be able to put those same controls, those same emphasis on process on the client side. And so the hard part for us as an agency is working with true partners who want us that involved. Yeah. And I get it. I understand. You, you look at the modern agency model and you're like, no, you're, you're poaching people. And I was like, look, man, like, we're, not, we're not poaching people. People are people, right? Like, whatever you want to call this, like, we need to create an ecosystem for you. We need to talk about what your journey is. And our aim is to solve your talent challenges within 30 to 45 days. So we're going to start with the end in mind. We're going to work a very deliberate process. We're going to collect a lot of data along the way. And the way it works is on Thursday, which is Thursday, we look at our entire rec load, all the jobs we're working at, and we marry people with clients, right? So you get to know one of our team members with the rest of us working in the background. Mm. But ideally, we work on front-end candidate traffic Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and we may or may not be busting out, but like that's the outbound messaging to attract people in. We'll start collecting people, getting them in our funnel, and start screening them Monday, Tuesday, submitting that first round, those first candidates by mid to late week. We get feedback from you as a client. We take that feedback, go back to market for a second cycle, whether it's sourcing or an outbound digital strategy, whatever it might be. And then we get a better subset, a more accurate subset of exactly who you want. And then along the way, we're looking at how the metrics, and we let the metrics tell the story. If we're getting a lot of people in the door, but we're not getting them into process, there may be something off with the process, right? Mm. Like it may be too great a barrier to interview. There may be a disconnect somewhere in there, right? Like when you think about a funnel, right? We're just working a funnel and then applying data and giving feedback around that data. And so it's a very deliberate two weeks. And at the end of the two weeks, and sometimes it, it bleeds into week three, depending when we get you in our web, um, you have to sit down with me. And I go, hey, this is what we're seeing. Here are the candidates in play. Here's what's working. Here's what's not. Here's our recommendation. And here's what we think needs to be true in order to get this over the goal. Sometimes it's a laundry list. Other times we're there. We're ready to rip. Yeah. That's why we say 30 days. Because you, just like selling a home, you get your most active buyers within those first two to three weekends. We do too. So if we're going to get this done for you, it will be sooner than later. We just are a little bit more meticulous 
And in order for us to actually complete the mission, we ask that of our clients to be on the mission with us. Mm. And that's the approach we take because that's what wins. We fill most of the jobs we get. That's unlike most agencies who are just going to take any job yeah. and then just fire it. That's, that is not. So for a client that's looking for a hands-on approach, they have a major lift. They're adding a shift. They're adding equipment. They've lost TA leadership. They've never had TA leadership. They're reimagining talent acquisition, right? That's TA, sorry. These are companies that maybe have never had this challenge in 40 years and thinking about it for the first time. And they get um, Fran, who's the controller, in charge of it. And she has general contempt for the process because that's not what she does. Mm -hmm. And then they put a sign out front. And then they say, oh, no one wants to work anymore. And you're like, holy crap. <laughs> like People do want to work. They don't know how. You've got three letters on your building, HKM. What do you think? What do they don't know what's going on? They're wondering what happened to the rest of the alphabet. And so you hear it so much right now. Um, I'm having such a hard time finding people or the culture uh, at our place wouldn't put up with this or that. Um, and, and I think that we're at a point right now that if, if you don't understand your culture and you can't bottle it up and put it out in the world, uh, you're, you're never going to get the people that, that you should be attracting, right? And, and so when we think about um, there is no right or necessarily wrong culture. There, there are certainly some issues like with some cultures and all that, but like the word authentic, that's, that is so powerful. Um, when you are an authentic leader, when you have values that are true to your organization, ideally you would attract and retain people that identify with that culture. Um, because culture in a lot of ways creates itself and, and it's an amalgamation of the people uh, in the rooms, uh, in the halls, you know, on the floor. And so whether you like it or not, um, you, you need to be intentional in casting the vision. You need to be intentional in what you're measuring. But boy, that culture will create itself. And identifying what your culture is, is the first step in really understanding what that authentic, you know, true voice of your organization is. And then you just build this, the people systems around it, all right? Because, you know, for me, I've got about 20 years industrial HR and talent acquisition leadership. And so that's a lot of different environments. Uh, we work currently in, in about roughly 40 different environments. And to prescribe blanket solutions to everyone is, is absolutely wrong. You have to. The first step, really, in talent acquisition, right, I don't care if you're an agency or if you are in-house, internal HR, or, or you're just a hiring manager who's been asked to hire someone for the first time, you must, you absolutely must get every single detail right off the bat. And, and what I mean by that is you got to capture why the role is open. What do you really, like, what are you trying to achieve with this position? What challenges you're looking to solve? Um, what is the hiring process look like for the ideal candidate? Um, does this line up with 
our marketing message out there in the world? Um, what does our benefits look like? Is that in line with reality and, and the market? What does the pay look like? And what is unique about our organization? What's special about us that is going to attract that person that wants to be here? And culture is one of those things. In fact, it, it's probably the most important thing. And when you get all of this information, when you start this journey to scale or to add people, here's the really scary part. Here's the vulnerable part. You got to get it out there. You got to take all this information and get it out there in a way that is digestible, that attracts that person, that is like, yes, that's the culture for me. That's the place I want to go. I think that these values, I believe this role, whatever it might be, that resonates with me. And it's authentic because that's how you're going to beat heads up companies like Amazon or Walmart who are going to be able to offer, you know, maybe a high, higher hourly rate or have different benefit structures. So you this big machine. This right? machine, that right? Not quite as authentic, right? Sure, like that, can't, that be. Is this can't edge. be based on size. I, I hope that's something that, that was clear there. And that's something that more folks recognize in their own businesses that that realness is, in a lot of ways, their competitive advantage to Absolutely. lean forward with it. Absolutely. Right. And I yeah. think the term came up at Talking Town a lot. Uh, I believe it was perhaps Kimberly who was saying, be unapologetic about who you are. Mm -hmm. Because if it's more, if your core values, if who you are as a company, if that's more aspirational, things that you wish you were, or that you're hoping for, instead of the reality of who you are, well, to your point, you're going to attract people yeah. that aren't really a fit Absolutely. with Absolutely. what that is. And sometimes it's being a little rough around the edges. Sometimes that's, it's yeah. the vulnerability piece. Like it's scary as an individual and as a company, but it's who you really are like that. We talk going to find out eventually. Yeah. Right. Well, and I was thinking too, when you, when you answered one of the questions that talk and talent and just the way you're talking about, you know, there's not really like a, a secret or a secret sauce that's that's easy in the moment. It's not an instant gratification game. Right. It seems like, you know, if I'm saying I just need to fill these roles and I go to somebody like Nate and you say, well, what's what's exactly the role? What do you want to get out of this? What is your culture? How are you putting that forward? I can sense sometimes a recoil in some mm. people and even myself where I want the gratification right now and I want the person without wanting to do the hard work. Yeah. And so if you run into that type of situation, oh, I yeah. guess without getting too much into the weeds, yeah, you know, on. how, how do you, is that something a firm like yours? Do you walk people through that in terms of like partnering with them to help that define those things? And how do you convince oh, somebody God. that it's worth it to do the hard right. work when they might just want a, you know, a senior accountant yeah. tomorrow, tomorrow and just they don't want to go back through the, you know, the, maybe the weeks and months to fully define their culture like they really should, or maybe they know that they should, but Somebody's in pain. Well, let me. You know, how do you convince them? Uh, that's that perfect. It's worth and, and, it. And so what I tell them is, we're going to put a thirty-day timer on this. Gotcha. This isn't forever. And here's exactly how we're going to do it. I'm going to ask these questions one time. It's going to take forty-five minutes. And as a result, there will be no back and forth. You're going to have more velocity. And I think Joe and I were chatting earlier. The thing that's really changed in this market is. Uh, we have a more educated consumer in a candidate now. And so no different than you look at how you shop for a home. Um, you shop for a job online much the same way. And so things just naturally move faster. And so if 
if you don't have all of that information, whether again, this is an agency working with you or your own HR team or your own hiring, if you do not lead with transparency, you're going to waste time. And in our world, the time kills absolutely all deals. TKAD. We sit there and, and time destroys everything around you. And so I meet that anxiety, I'll call it, or that concern mm -hmm. from a client with equal concern around the time factor. I go, we want the same thing, mm -hmm. but how we get there is very different. So if we can't spend 45 minutes on a phone call answering these questions, I'm going to put you through weeks worth of interviews with people asking those same questions. Right. <laughs> Which do you want? Do you want to get it out of the way now once with me and then it's handled? Or would you rather answer these questions every time I put someone in front of you? Yeah, and that's usually, a good point. Usually that, that ends. And honestly, strategically speaking, I need these because I'm going to talk to people. I'm going to be like, hey, Jim, you know, I don't know if you're interested in this or that or whatever, but here's who they are. Here's why the position's open. Here's what they're offering. Here's why I liked your background. Boy, you got to tell people that. I'm going to tell you this right now. For every young recruiter listening, agency or otherwise, you are missing the boat if you don't tell people why you love them. That is the easiest hack to recruiting anywhere on the planet. Anyone who's ever worked with me will come out of that situation saying, I absolutely love that guy because I loved you. I reached out to you for a reason, professionally, of course, right? The first thing I tell someone is why I am reaching out. Hey, Pete, you know, there's this company. Here's the company info, right? I'm not going to be cagey about it. Either I'm internal or, or external yep. working on this, right, from a recruiting standpoint. Here's the role. Here's why it's open. Really important, right? Um, here are the basics, right? Here, You know, here's yep. the comp. Um, here's kind of the day-to-day. -day. Here are a few of the things. Listen. I'm reaching out to you because of this experience, this specific experience you've got, that's what they're looking for. And so I'm reaching out to you because I think that you'd be a great fit for this. And if it seems interesting enough, I'd love to send you some more information and have a follow-up conversation. And so automatically I'm taking, I, I, I'm, I'm engaging you. Okay. And I'm starting to get you to do things for me. And so, but I'm giving you something first, right? So it's like, hey, here's, here's absolutely everything. I'm going to throw everything at you. And what I said at the end is we're going to have a conversation about this, right? So you're like, oh, maybe, maybe you're not ready to have this combo because I like, you're probably not. Sure. Okay. And, but also if you're going to, I'm not, I'm never going to get you on any, so for people who think cold calling is dead, um, okay, whatever. Like, that's fine. <laughs> I get it. I get it. it. And in some channels, it may be. But you cannot make the same connection over email. You cannot make these. You must have a very compelling pitch, right? And, and what's more compelling than here's an awesome opportunity. Here's why I think you're good for it. And I, wanna, I really want to connect with you. I'm a good human. Um, I'm not going to beat you up. Like, this is a two-minute conversation. Uh, I recognize that maybe you're not looking and that's okay too. The best people aren't. I'd love to have a conversation because I've been asked by my client to find you. People melt them. Sure. Well, because you yeah. recognize yes. their value, Absolutely. right? They, they feel like 
All right, this person is acknowledging that. Yeah. So instead of the indifference that is often yeah. felt where you know, you, you want something, you're like, do they like me? Do they not like me? Uh, I don't know where yeah, I stand honor. with this. Yeah. And it, to feel that, I mean, it gives you these kind of like internal notifications of, well, if I'm at this place and this is how they've made me feel in the first few interactions, I might have more upward trajectory there because they, even they're, you know, outsourced at times recruiting team or whoever I'm talking to sure. that's the extension of them sure. is making that a priority to acknowledge value. And I know right? we're kind of going off the rails here, but I just think it speaks to that vulnerability. Why a hire request is so important because if you're going to have someone go to market for you, that's they just take that hire request or that like internal intake and they go to market with that. They have everything they need. Go, go out there, preach the good news, right? Like go get my people. This is what we need. And so with that, you've got all the power you need to go find that person, right? When you have the right recruiters in the room. Now, there is a bit of tradecraft that's next, right? So I sent you an email with all this information. I also follow up with a text message saying I sent you that information. Sure. Then I ask you to reach back out and let me know what you think. Usually I, I get a pretty warm response. Maybe I'll ping you two or three times, but now we're shifting because so many people are like, oh, if you give them all this, if you give them all, all the answers to the test, you know, how do we know? And the answer is no one gives a crap about the answers. They want to like, let's get people to prove their work, right? If you hand out the answers to the test, okay, people can select in or out of the process. Yeses and no's. They mean the same thing early on. How fast we get there matters. But you don't necessarily care that they get the answers right. You want to see the work along the way. And that's what the interview process is. Show me how you get to these answers. I don't care that you have the right answers. I want to know how you get there, right? And so it, you save a hiring manager that ability. And, and here's a perfect process for you, okay? Your recruiting team goes out, engages candidates, gives them the answers to the test. That person now is on the hook to follow up, right? So... That person should reach out within a day or two, right? I try to say, hey, if this seems interesting to, to you, get back to me by the end of the week. Do you put a little ownership on them? Absolutely. Balls in their court Have a balls, bit. In, balls in your court. I'm not going to bug you again, okay? Um, but I really need to fill this job, and I thought you were great. If this seems like it's worth a, a follow-up combo, let's talk. And then you start extracting. So you engage, you extract, and then... You put them in process, right? You you let the let the process kind of take care of itself. Um, there's no <laughs> there's no secret sauce here. It's it's the ability to really help people through this process because it's often awkward. No one likes interviewing, right? Like typically, um, and if you're doing it all the time, you should be good at it. And a good interview should be a conversation, and great opportunities speak for themselves. So let her rip. There was some good nuggets in there. <laughs> and listen, you said we went a little off the rails. I know, I know, I know. I think. It's, yes. just, it's just Fine. off the rails. Like, we, we often say that the, the best, like the best conversation comes in between the questions yeah. when it, it was a, a story, an example uh, yeah. that came from it. So 
Don't you worry. I'm, I feel I'm drinking the tap water. Carp launched. Right. We're going to talk about wiener dogs in this episode. That's what I, we're so, going to talk about yeah, there's, all sorts of obscurities. Oh, nice. I was going to uh, say that reminds me of that one time Nate called me and said, I think you'd be perfect for this up and coming food service organization. You're great client facing. There's a front desk role at this place called Taco Bell that I think you'd be perfect I, at. And then he took me through the whole process and it, you it, lasted it, there two out? weeks. This is a year ago. Yeah. But you know, it didn't work uh, out. <laughs> Didn't end up getting the job, but um, you had a passion. Thought for I it. was perfect for it. So. I, I you appreciate some real that. Connections. My man, one of the top them. consumers potentially in the or, in the country. That so. is that is one of my strategies, right? When we think <laughs> about um, taking a consumer and converting them to an employee, that that honest to god might be something there. Yeah, there is something there. there Just I, a, a I, silly example. I did that with. Um, there was a company I was working for, University Tees. Shout out to them. Great organization. I was there for ten years. And one of our earliest EOS mm-hmm, clients and mm-hmm. a company we admire and yeah, love I, a lot of I, what they do. I was head of people in strategy for them for about a decade. And honestly, you know, as funny as the Taco Bell example is, um, that is a big foundation to their recruiting success, right? Like we identified early on because our end user, um, w- which is predominantly uh, college students, right? Right. Uh, also would make for a great representative of the organization and we already have their contact information. So what we kind of built was a system of taking our very best customers and then converting them to our very best representatives on, on like that kind of hands-on college program level and then promoting them into the organization as a full-timer. And I think that, you know, while this is somewhat unique to university tees, I believe that if you're in a company that's super niche, okay, you're, you're in advanced manufacturing, you are in uh, something that you just feel like, oh, we're not meeting the demand for talent, um, hopefully based on growth, and you can spin it to be based on growth, but you're marketing to your vendors, to your customers, like those are channels that you absolutely are underexploited for talent purposes. You are reaching out to them often about new products or events or, or whatever it might be. Share the good news. Hey, we're growing. We love you as a vendor or a customer. If you know anyone in your network who might be interested in joining our amazing team because you have an amazing experience, let us know. I guarantee you you're going to get people in the door. Moreover, internally, if you have a referral program that doesn't work, it doesn't work for a reason. The best talent networks, historically speaking, uh, are built on referrals. And and it doesn't need to be this like grandiose incentive structure. Uh, You can start that way to kind of jumpstart it. Um, But you think, you know, I work in the industrial sector almost not exclusively, but that's just where I found myself over the years, right? And some of it's high tech, but bear with me. If you were going to work 60 years ago, you went to work where your neighbor went to work, where your parent went to work, where your friends went to work. And essentially, they had these pipelines of talent, you know, 50, 60 years ago that were unending, that were predicated on the community being built around the company. Um, company picnics were a community event. Mm. And so you start thinking about what that means more, not just within the context of recruiting, but integration, elevation, succession, it all solves itself. And so if you are an industrial company, even if you're not, 
and you don't have a community-based recruiting strategy, you're missing the mark. Hmm. So those are the two, like, what would I do today if I went in a house with a company that was looking to scale? I'd, I'd start exploiting my vendor and customer networks for talent, and I would immediately be in a community outreach and, you know, start slow. Don't expect it to, to change overnight. But when I think about the best industrial companies and the best companies in general, 50% or more, it, it, 50% or more should come from referrals internally. That means your culture is being perpetuated and grown upon and people are attracting people. And those are the best people because you don't have to worry so much about intentional mentorship. You don't have to worry so much about intentional integration. These things happen naturally. Now you do have some other problems, you know, I mean, uh, you can homogenize a culture, you can, you, you can bring in domestic challenges and that's fine. Or have these factions of yeah 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 you, know, you can do that like that can people happen from a, who work together at another organization yeah. that can happen nepotism every right? once in a while right the reward does right. far outweigh the risk in well, that scenario though right like, you, need, you know it's kind of like those hierarchy of needs do you need people or not <laughs> right? right like okay I, I'm not going to exploit my vendor networks and 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 the community because like of, of fear that one day we we might have. No other issues, but the occasional like <laughs> hiccup. Right. Like give more me a modern break. HR, yeah, or like, more typical what? HR issue. Right, right. And, and, that's, and your HR you team is is they're prepared to deal with it. So you hit on a sentiment that I want to open up a little bit further. Sure. And in my experience, so many see HR more closely connected to legal mm-hmm. than yeah. they do connected with marketing. Right, and. You've talked about kind of how you're going to market, how you're positioning your brand, your company, who you are, all of those things. Is there anything you want to shed any light on a mentality shift or or why? Like if you're trying to overcome that objection and help somebody recognize how important it is to have kind of that, you know, two-pronged approach of HR and marketing versus seeing it as so compliance and yeah. Yeah. policy. Oof. When we think about policy, I'm just going to, you know, and this isn't going to work for everybody, but when I think about policy, I, I, because I've been in that HR leadership seat and find myself uh, in it today um, as managing director, you know, everything pretty much rolls up to me. Um, We set policy to the top, right? And that's not going to work for every company everywhere, right? But we set policy to the top. We, We take every policy decision we have and weigh that against whether or not this is going to uh, bring in more top behaviors, right? Like if you're going to set up a punitive culture, uh, expect a punitive experience. And I know that like there needs to be safeguards in place, uh, to prevent, you know, exposure to litigation. Okay. No one's suggesting otherwise. And I understand that there needs to be, uh, basic, you know, handbooks and expectations set. like, that's all good. That's yeah. fine. That's, that's freaking table stakes. But mm-hmm. when your HR seat is only compliance driven, you are going to grind your, <laughs> you're going to grind your best talent to the bottom. You will measure the bottom, not the top. And what gets ma- managed, you know, or what gets measured gets managed, right? Yeah. So what do you think you're going to get? Do you think you're going to get higher performers in a culture like that? Or do you think you're going to get a culture of it's 501 out the door? Actually, no, it's five o'clock in one second. I'm leaving. <laughs> and so you need to empower people to do the right thing all the time. Autonomy, 
uh, flexibility, um, true greatness isn't going to survive in a culture like that. It'll, it'll be consistent. You'll stay out of trouble, maybe, okay? Because those same handbooks, those same policies, right? Number one rule. You really want to know the number one rule in HR not to get sued? Happy people don't sue you. Happy people don't sue you. Does that sound like a happy place to you? That's the rule. That's so how, the, do, how do you set policy at the top then? Is it, is it a, a small set of fundamentals that must be followed or rules okay. that must be followed, an opportunity to um, treat people like adults, you know, yeah. as long as they're meeting some sort of minimum yeah. standard yeah. of yeah. Yeah. compliance? Yeah. Or? And, and I think that that's part of it, right? Like, so there's going to be, there may be disparity in policy, right? So like if you've got really hands-on roles versus more, um, let's call it white collar roles. Um, there's going to be, there's going to be something you're going to have to have some mellowing there. Right. Um, you know, because like, how are we supposed to set an attendance policy for someone who has to be operating a piece of equipment versus someone who can work from home? True. I get it, but that's not a fair comparison. Right. And I, I know how that impacts culture. Okay. And, and, and that's why there isn't a one size fits all. You need to figure out like what's going to work for your culture. And I think the first thing you do is you look at what's in place right now from a policy perspective and figure out which policies you're only selectively enforcing. And so if you've got an attendance policy that you don't follow, you don't have an attendance policy. <laughs> right. And I think that a lot of companies like to pretend that they've got a handbook, the handbook's going to save, and the handbook isn't going to do a thing for you. We'll use it when it's convenient. Oh, it'll be used as a weapon. Yeah. Because I'm going to take all these policies and say, hey, you know what? Like, you fired me, but you didn't fire Seymour, who did X, Y, and Z. And you didn't fire Jan, who did X, Y, and Z. And, and oh, by the way, you didn't even follow your own reporting process for this or that. You're screwed. So you need to figure out what exactly you are following, cut out the rest, or figure out what kind of behaviors or what kind of incentives you're looking to build into your company from an HR perspective or a policy perspective and hold people to them. It's been so hard. I, mm, the pandemic has destroyed, I'd say, more policies than any single event anywhere. How can you live within a, an attendance policy when you, when you just need to get product out the door? How can you, you know, how can you enforce these things? And we're coming back to it. Mm -hmm. We're coming back. Listen, I think when we think about creative ways to address some of these bigger issues, right? Like, I think that it, it, it's a bigger conversation. But I would say that if I were a company today and I'm looking in this post-pandemic kind of workplace, it, it reminds you a lot of 2019, 18. And so if, I'm, if I have access to this data and I look backward, I would take the plan I had going into the pandemic, which is tight labor market, uh, kind of squirrely economic conditions, okay, but like stable-ish, right? Stable adjacent, okay? It's a good way of putting it. Yeah, yeah, it, believe me, things are- things Stable are, yeah. adjacent, I like that. <laughs> I think what, what, what you're gonna see is really- um, That's the, describes the sleeping patterns of my mm, two young kids. Mm -hmm. yeah, Stable yeah, adjacent. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. sleep adjacent, but like- we, Every we, third night, we might get a good night. The ratcheting up of 
uh, interest rates and the cooling of economic conditions has only done so much to slow down the labor market, okay? It's, it's certainly made the cost of borrowing more expensive. And in already, I think a lot of employers right now are, are dealing with a few things. One is the cost of money is more. Uh, the industrial sector is extremely capital intensive. Um, the cost of people, okay, through the great correction of the last three years, people cost more too. And the backlogs aren't there and the incentives from the government aren't there. What we're going to see over the next, and I'm looking in the crystal ball here, is probably a soft-ish landing going into the new year. And we start an election cycle that will only put more pressure on economic conditions. You're going to see a repeat of 2018, 2019 from a zeitgeist-like what to expect uh, the consumer sentiment which drives consumer behavior which drives the industrial sector right and we start thinking about if i'm an hr leader general manager if i'm a leader in general right now we can expect monetary policy to ease it probably won't go down a ton but we can expect the cost of capital to come down we should expect the reshoring of products to increase those backlogs and we should also expect a lot of retirements to happen because when we think about the baby boomer generation that is like they call it the silver wave right and and so the need for talent will be there and so what we had pre-pandemic was exactly that we had a tight labor market the tightest in history we had easy easier monetary policy i'll give you that um, and then a, a return to domestic industrialization, if, if for lack of a better word. And so if I'm like a leader, I'm dusting out the 2018 playbook as mm. a rough draft, heading into the, not only the second half of this year, but truly heading into Q4 and, and to start Q1. Interesting. Well, and just <laughs> one more thing on that, that right. note, going back to the policy conversation sure. as well as you know, how we should be refreshing those or building on those or, or building them for the first time if right. we don't really have great policies. Is there a way to build those where we are building them as if everybody is expected to be a top performer within the organization versus, yeah. and treating people like top performers versus building policies in a way that are, you know, trying to, you know, treat people like they're a low performer Setting or a minimum expectation yeah, line. Yeah. Or, or having a, having nature. a discipline, you know, mm-hmm. it's all about discipline, you know, making sure that people are punished yeah. if they don't show yeah. up on time Let's versus them. treating people like high performers and adults. And we, that's something Ron covered, you know, really early on when I started about, you know, what can we do to make sure that everyone feels treated like a high performer? And even when we go in and do, you know, facilitation and workshops, we'll talk to groups about that. And it's easy for us to say on the outside, hey, here's what you should do, or you should do, you know, this, that, or the other. But I'm interested, yeah, from both your perspectives. I know. um, Let me say one, though, because that that made me think so much about appreciative inquiry and just that that emphasis or focus on positive. When you expect or set expectations that people will succeed, they often live up to that. Sure. But if we become so jaded and cynical by our own experiences or lack of yeah. awareness of like where we owned it and instead put it on somebody else. Oh man. You know, then you start to look at it. Well, oh, these people are idiots or right. nobody wants to right. work there. There's yeah. nobody who has uh, the, the skills that they used to when oh, they came into this. Yeah. They have yeah. that. 
<laughs> lens over where they just expect the worst. What are you going to get? Right. Well, and there's still like a there's still a reality we have to live in too. It feels like you know if I go to a construction company and say you should have unlimited vacation for your team and no start time and end time, then you might never have anybody show up at the work. We're not site. just doing so, ping pong tables. Everyone gets a ping pong <laughs> uh, table. We're putting We're a table on the construction site. Right. You know things like that. And so it's like maybe in some cases unrealistic to treat every industry or every company exactly the same. But is exactly. there a way to you know, if you're consulting with people, HR leaders yeah. and such, you know, how do you set that high standard sure. and treat everyone as if they should be expected to be a top performer versus if you don't do exactly what I say when I say it, you're in trouble? You know what? I'll, I'll, I'll give, it, give you this. When I think about there's, there's, there's two things that I'm going to pull out. One, I've had so many managers come to me over the years and, you know, just say, Nate, this isn't going to this isn't going to work because what am I supposed to do? about Joe. Uh, Joe doesn't come in on time. He's always doing this. He's always doing that. And I go, just fire Joe. What are you doing? Like, you know, so many people don't realize that you, you don't have to live in, in, in a world where bad behavior is tolerated. Okay. Like just, just eliminate, <laughs> eliminate these people. All right. Like we can fire people. In fact, you're probably going to fire Joe anyway. And unfortunately, when you don't, when you kick the can down the road, mm -hmm. by tolerating it, you're enabling others to adopt the same behaviors Bingo. and you lose some of your best people who 100%. aren't that way because they're pulling they're the back. They're holding the back for everybody else. Right. They're holding. And, and so to policy, right? Like how do we, you know, the policy needs to be appropriate for the business you're in. Right. And, and I think that whether it's a hands-on role, like a construction company or an industrial role, or it's. To the opposite, right? Maybe it's a extremely technical role and, and you need to allow for creativity and you need, you know, there's 10 people who can do this nationwide. Uh, we need to have realistic expectations around working hours and the scope of work. Um, I think you adopt the policies that make sense for your business, but you also are open and honest around why and i think people are reluctant to give the real answers around or, or they don't feel like they need to right um it's it's a strange like entitlement there's a lot like that word is thrown around a lot and, and it's like no tell people why this is the thing like you know um i i think we had that ping pong table example or i think it was like something like that right right the problem with the ping pong table is uh if that that becomes a a living metaphor for inauthentic cultures, right? You're sitting there, it's collecting dust, and it's like, yeah, you know, we're working 12-hour days, uh, but hey, at least we got a ping-pong table. And the other end of it is you're playing ping-pong, and two or three people in the business absolutely hate the idea because they're trying to lock in and get work done, or they're in a leadership seat and they just don't see it as adding value. And now all of a sudden there's a ping pong tournament going on and half the company wants to choke you to death because they're processing orders. Uh, so now, you know, but so when you're walking by now, <laughs> it, even when nobody's playing, it's triggering those it's triggering. negative behaviors that has become this symbol yeah. of all that is wrong. All right? that is wrong. This well, imagine is... a leader keeping score too of how often somebody is playing ping pong during the day. And they're, they they're looking out of their office if it's within their purview being like, man, that person's playing ping pong again they the must not be marks. working this yeah. person you put the they're table about there in the to first go place. on tour they're about 
<laughs> they're they're going on tour. They're smoking everybody. Right yeah. now, you're holding it against somebody who's utilizing the amenities that you've set up in the first place. That's right. <laughs> I I think incorrectly, the blame is so often put on the workforce, sure. and we talk all the time about extreme ownership, sure. right? Just defaulting to ownership. Sure, the employees could very well be a big part of the problem. Yeah. And I am an advocate for when you recognize somebody's not a value fit or that their heart's not in it, have an honest conversation to find out why mm-hmm. and you know, in a compassionate way help them find something that is going to bring them more satisfaction out of what they're doing. It's better for them, it's more kind to address it. Sure. But leaders so often just point that finger instead of recognizing like okay, I I do need to fire this person. Wait, did I set proper expectations and actually confirm them? When you come out with these policies, are they transparent to your point? Are they communicated and over-communicated in a simple way that people actually can Mm -hmm. understand and act on? Those components are so often missed, right? And you get to this situation where the reason people don't fire somebody is because if they're really honest with themselves Mm. deep down, Mm -hmm. they know they didn't do the right things along the way. So this is a product of their own, right. You know, deficiencies as a leader. I agree. uh, Um, you know, when we think about the workforce in general, um, it just is right. And, and turnover and production, all these things, these are just numbers and data points. And the reason why, how this applies is, um, it is our job, to deal with whatever the workforce is, whatever the turnover is, whatever our retention numbers may be, or, or our, our output numbers may be, these, these are our things, right? Like these are people, right? If we don't cast the right vision or hold them accountable or um, give them the tools to be successful, we live in these results. These are our results. This is what we did, not, not what someone did. The workforce is not inherently lazier. We have probably the the smartest group of humans that have ever been on the planet right more information and resourceful as all get come on all of a sudden no one wants to work anymore no they don't want to work for you there's this video that we play uh (laughs) where it's the you might have seen it the guy who's going back to like 1920 nobody wants to work anymore nobody wants to work anymore nobody wants to work anymore yeah a disgruntled businessman says nobody wants to work anymore right every decade when you're in it it so often feels like your situation is so unique you're the only one who's ever experienced this in reality these things haven't gone away they're they're constant. They're- well, why would anyone want to work for you is the better question. Yeah, that's a great one. It's a tough one because you have to mm-hmm. look in the mirror, Every you know, day. instead of project outward. Yeah. All right. Spirit of vulnerability. We hit on some of these things. I, I like the uh, uh, the flow of yeah, okay, where our conversation is going. We're good. I think our listeners, too, they'll get something value, valuable out of this. Sure. I do also want to take it back a little bit. We often kick off meetings. Mm-hmm. uh sessions that we're doing with folks we'll do a little bit of uh almost goofy but just layer or two down vulnerable share yeah right so sure. uh we taught we know pete hoped his first job was going to be taco bell he didn't quite make the cut uh but we often talk no, first job subway it's like if you shoot for the moon you land amongst the stars so. yeah they're doing sliced, you know, able to... sliced meats now is that right yeah okay didn't you you actually invented the italian bmt or at least <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, I wish. She's, yeah, Thank you. Thank, I, from all of our listeners. I was able yeah. to smell like mayonnaise it. every day when I went home, that's but true. I still eat Subway. It's good stuff. But hey, that started before this, Subway. And this segment remains, brought to you by so. Subway. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Thanks to our new sponsor. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, first job, worst job. Oh, okay. All right. Um, so tell yeah. us, like, let's zoom back a little bit. I know you, you led Ooh. talent and strategy at University of Tees. Sure. Sure. You, we haven't gotten there yet. We'll talk more about what you're doing currently. You mentioned it's your managing director, something mm. industrial related. <laughs> I imagine it has to do with recruiting and yeah. HR. We'll talk more about that, okay. but let's zoom back. First job, worst job, and let's get into your journey a little bit, how you okay. got to where you are. All right. So first first job, um, Dick Sporting Goods. Okay. Um, what department? Oh, this is where it gets fun. Yeah. Okay. So uh, was... All-state wrestler, you know, multiple state championships with with cross-country, not personally no team kidding. championships. Good yeah, stuff. Right? And I fish probably two, three days a week. I was a charter boat captain for a number of years. You can see Captain Nate Stansberry on Instagram. Come on. No, but seriously, it's there. It's I'm there. a follower. Yeah, yeah, come on. Wait, can we, like, get on the boat and you, you'll do the guided narrated I tour? I literally and... have to do – I don't have – I have a choice to do one on Saturday, and I'm, I'm taking I'm taking my – dental hygienist fishing with his family on on saturday we could do a whole interview just on that probably because i've got a ton of questions can we do an interview on the charter boat like one day we'll get out there come on let's go get a few we're mobile we we can uh so so okay so like i'm what like 18 right uh i went through a phase where i thought i guess i i don't know it was somewhere between um sugar ray and eminem where i would like dye my hair Anyway, yeah, yeah. Just the tips or all of it, whatever you want, yeah, whatever you frosted got. tips, yeah. yeah, yeah. But you know, I, I literally, you know, I've been fly fishing since I was ten, you know, and tying flies since then too. In these early nineties, right, and and so I knew way more, you know, than anybody in the in the fishing department in the Dick's fishing department. Yeah, yeah, yeah which is not a high bar for the record. Okay, <laughs> I was like, going to say the humility in there. I knew <laughs> oh, way more look, than look, anybody. You know, Half the time, it's yeah. a guy who's Dick's covering for department. somebody who yes, normally works yes, in like men's clothes, yeah, and it's like, just got, in the fish. We got bass, and we got catfish. You've, you got a like, guy who's like mm, in his, he's doing yeah. this as his retirement job, been fishing his whole life, and you know you're kind of comparing who knows more about fishing. Oh, I'd smoke that dude. Don't even go there with you. We got a big rod and we got a small rod. I'm gonna smoke (laughs) that guy. I am not an evil person except for in this vein. You've struck it today. I forgot more than you than you know, son. Bring it on. Bring it on, sucker. Like I'd like to see. And and so as a result, um, they put me in team sports. No team. I didn't play any team sports. I wanted to be in fishing. Mm-hmm. They were never going to let me in there, Dang. but they always called me in, man. Yeah, that was the deal. Like, <laughs> you hey. came into support. Oh my god! They were like, "Hey, we don't know what this is." I'm like, "It's a crappie rig." We <laughs> 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 get back to team sports. Oh, I don't know anything about baseball. It's like I'll be back. Yeah, when you're hurting. <laughs> yeah, when you're when you need me, you know who to call. Throw up the signal. Yeah, and they did. It was it was wild. Made a lot of good relationships there. A lot of first job bad decisions too. But you know, so, different different. Different podcast. Yeah. Sounds like maybe not your worst job then. Unless no, it was the no. team sports I mean, side where you were just mm-hmm. longing for the fishing department I certainly, so much. I, that... I, I, no, uh, that was, they did the right thing. They did the right thing. Um, I was a punk, you know. I think everyone needs to look in the mirror and say, yeah, I was, you know, 18 and an idiot. 
boy. It's the time I, I of our life was, to learn a lot. Though, yeah, right? I remember when I was cool before I had kids. Uh, <laughs> and it wasn't when I was 18. I, I was, I went back and I'm like, I was kind of an a-hole. I don't even know that I was employable. I okay? Like straight up. And um, I was selling 100% commission sure. appliances and electronics at okay. H.H. H. Gregg at the time, which Amazing. was jump straight into that Amazing. and be the, the young whippersnapper. Yeah. It was just nothing to lose. I was like, this is incredible. I was not in the right mindset sure. to have a full-time job. Right. Like, yeah, another podcast. But. Another podcast. Um, worst, worst job. Uh, boy. Okay. Um, hmm. I sold fish commercially in New York City uh, for a day. <laughs> <laughs> I moved to New York. Okay. 24 so, hours. So hold on. <laughs> It's like, I got some fish, man. <laughs> Don't even go there. It's what it was. Um, I'm picturing so, a Law & Order episode, actually, where a guy's unloading boom, fish boom, off a yeah. big truck, and they're dun, like, dun, 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 yeah, I work with Tony, you know? The truck is repo on his Dude, first day. It, yeah. like, no, they were on the repo. It's a problem. All right, it's, I don't even know that I can talk okay. about this. I don't. You know, you want to like talk I was talking generalities. Yeah, we're gonna that. keep this yeah. general. Um, so I, you know, I spend roughly, let's call it just under five years with FedEx doing um, HR work. Um, and, and we can get into that. And it was a great experience. I love them to death. Um, and I moved to New York with my wife. Uh, we weren't married at the time. She's like, we're going to New York City. I'm like, the hell we are. Next thing you know, we're in New York City. Um, and <laughs> That's like Jim From Gaffigan. Cleveland. You were oh, born and raised here. Yeah. So okay. Yeah. Was, I mean, yeah. that's an interesting probably conversation or series of conversations, but it reminds me of the Jim Gaffigan comedy bit where he goes, yeah, my wife said, let's go apple picking. And I go, no way. Right. No way at all. And he goes, 30 <laughs> minutes later, I'm at an apple orchard <laughs> yes. with a basket in my hand. I remember she faxed <laughs> me over. I am at, I'm at a terminal, okay, doing my job. Uh, at this point, I'm a, I'm a well-adjusted professional, okay? And uh, I see something come through the fax machine. It's a lease agreement to this apartment in Brooklyn. I'm like... Oh my God, what's going on? And she's like, uh, I'm moving. See you later. And I'm like, okay, well, I guess onward, off we go. Um, so I moved there and I start uh, looking into different opportunities and I eventually land into an amazing opportunity with Robert Walters in Times Square. And but you knew that. you loved fish. Well, I knew I loved fish. So I applied to this this job, commercial fish sales. I'm like, oh my God, this is it. This is, yeah. I've been waiting this all my life. And so I get to the place um, and, uh, you know, true to form, there's dead fish everywhere. And it, that's cool. I'm like, whoa, oh my God. Like, look at all of these like crazy fish. This is the craziest thing ever. And is it some kind of warehouse or a wharf yeah, or something? Yeah, 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 yeah. This gotcha. is, uh, this is in a, in a warehouse in a really tricky part of town. And, and I'm not going to say exactly where, because they are major, major, gotcha. major time. Um, anyway, uh, basically your job was to decipher orders from all of the fanciest restaurants in New York City and then marry that recording, an actual recording, to the fish out in the, you know, freezing warehouse. The problem here is, I don't know if you know anything about executive chefs or New York City, not one of them spoke English. Oh. So it's like Portuguese, a lot of Portuguese, a lot of French, mm -hmm. a lot of Japanese, 
And so you're sitting there listening to this insane recording in these like broken quasi East Coast, quasi very like. I think this guy wants a fish. (laughs) This guy wants a fish too. It would appear these people want fish. And these people don't mess around. You're dealing with people. Like it is like this. High end chefs. I'm like, holy shit. You can't afford to make a ton of mistakes despite not really understanding what they're trying to say. Say it again just for fun. All right. We can say the S word. You can say. Oh my God. I mean, not only could we edit it out, we won't. I think. Don't, don't. We we talk authenticity. I understand. So. Unapologetically. The. And you're working weekends, which no one told me going into gotcha. this. All right, pretty much. Seven days a week. And you smell like fish. And you can't get it wrong. It's like the most high-pressure, sales-ish job that you can't get right. And everyone is yelling at you. And you're just sitting there. <laughs> and you're, you're trying to decipher between catfish and codfish and coddlefish. And it's like you're you're just losing your mind while everyone's yelling, and 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 it's the only speed anyone can go at. And so, it was and, and OPS. You you barely make any money. So it's like it's like no money, no fishing. You smell like fish, and you're getting yelled at all day. I don't know. I don't understand. Like talk about it. It was crazy. Like how anyone does that? Because it gets Welcome done to New somehow. York. Well, you know? <laughs> all right. It's yeah, boot camp. And, and I'm Midwest nice, right? Yeah. Like, uh, you know, I, I probably, I just got back from Wisconsin. Now, they, they truly have it going on there. I, I felt like a true New York City guy going to Wisconsin and Minnesota because mm-hmm. they truly are nice. Like, no right. doors are locked. They're coming up. They're asking you questions. You think you're being interrogated, you know, and you're just like, no, we're just, you know, shooting the breeze, right? Out for a rip. You're like, what the, what the hell does that even mean? Um, regardless, I'm in there and, and, and it just, I was like, guys, you know, I love you. This isn't for me. And I'd actually turned down a job. This is so crazy. All right. So I get to New York. I interview for this beautiful agency job. All right. Recruiting agency, Times Square. And, I, and I'd done four and a half, let's call it four to five years, um, corporate HR and recruiting work for FedEx ground, um, mostly in, in Cleveland, but we did go to outside to some other terminals as well. Um, amazing people. First boss took chances on me. Um, Kiara Bunch, shout out to you uh, every day. You know what I mean? Like without her, uh, wouldn't be here today. That is God's honest truth. Awesome. Um, Jason Silvis as well. And, and oh, yeah, we'll talk about we'll talk about that. Um, but but yeah, so like I moved to New York City. Get this crazy ass, but but in in the in the process of doing it, I get offered this job at Robert Walters, um, which was um, you know still is great recruiting agency, multinational, based in the mm-hmm. UK, but all over the world, more boutique, um, serving mostly the investment community, um, and it was amazing, right? Kurt Krager at the time. Uh, ran the show in America in the U.S. office and um, really uh, gave me a chance. And so, so did the I said, check this out. Well? Check, no, yeah. no, this was this okay. was the crazy. So here's the crazy part. So I get this job and they offer me the job, and I don't show up from. I don't like. I, I say, hey, look, I got another offer at the fish place. I'm going to go there. Okay. And he's just like, you are you are so out of your mind. 
good luck, young man. <laughs> right? And I show up for one day and I call Kurt back and I'm like, Kurt, I'm so sorry. <laughs> and Kurt like is laughing. I can hear him. I can see him laughing this right now. He is like like losing his mind because like he, th- he thought it was the great he's like it tracks this is fine you idiot get in here and i don't know um if he was just planning on torturing me for a while but my first job for kurt was to kind of prove myself i was given a hoover's account and what that basically is is a digital phone book and i was given a hoover's account and in there it was like like digital phone book meets uh, the beta version of Zoom Info, right? Like it, it would give you <laughs> seemingly unimportant information that you had to like tie together and, okay. and figure. Anyway, so I'm literally, I'm cold calling for what I thought was a, divi- a CFO job for a division of RAID, the co- cockroach spray. Yeah. So I'm working directly under Kurt right off the bat and doing hundreds of calls a day. And, uh, and I put someone on an interview. Um, I still remember, I may have even placed the guy inadvertently, right? Because I, I, looking back, I was just generating leads for Kurt. Sure. Which is fine. You know, that's what you should do at like 25. Um, and when I did it, uh, you know, I made it happen within a couple, like a week or two. He was like, okay, fine. We're gonna actually going to pour into you. And, um, and I spent 10 months with them. Okay, so you proved your worth right yeah. away. Yeah, and it was awesome. Okay. And then I ended up going in-house with a client called Ez Castle Integration, and they did IT services for the hedge fund world. And what we did is basically set up technology professionals on-site or outsourced completely um, for for high net worth investment group, you know, smaller shops that, you know, they're, they, they want to get execute trades faster. And so what you'd do there is you would just go to Best Buy, and you would recruit the Geek Squad. And so you'd put a quote in at the Geek Squad and you strike up a conversation, you'd just pull them out of there. And there's many, <laughs> oh man, because they're the best, right? We're talking about connectivity issues, we're talking about marrying, because it was- That was know, the persona of your hire, right? Oh, yeah, Is because the... yes, yeah, Hunter, all the way. Whatever you're making, we'll double it, and you get to go to the Hamptons. You get to go to the Hamptons because you got to install a trading platform on like mm. a yacht, but yeah. you know you're still going right. Yeah. And these blew their minds. And so um, I worked for as great company, amazing people. Uh, Beth Jacobson, Peter Cadell, who's their HR head of HR now. He actually he did a stint at Microsoft recently and gotcha. came back. Love him to death. Um, and then uh, you know if you're following the timeline here, you realize that 2008 was a pretty tough year. Mm-hmm. And uh, I can tell you, we were putting people, you know, when I was at Robert Walters, we were sending people to California to go work for Countrywide in high-level financial jobs with mortgage-backed securities. We remember, I I vividly remember um, people moving there and then it dissolving, right? And then I remember when I was with Ez uh, in-house, we'd be putting people on interviews and they'd be like, yeah, uh, I think I was in the right spot. Looked like they were moving. And you're like, what? And you're like, mm. what the hell's going on? And it's 2008, right? And, you're like, and they bought two houses right when they moved out there. And they bought two houses and no down payments. And now have that on their wow. resume. Man, that's tough. And you're like, Ugh. That's hard. 
Um, but you know, and so, and so, you know, recession, no one needed a recruiter. So I went to the West coast and did whale watching tours, uh, offshore fishing trips. Yeah. So I moved to the West coast. I had a friend that owned a fishing store out there. He wanted to bring it online. Shout out Chris daughters. Um, still, we, we actually did the Amazon together. Not, not a year. It was a year ago. We did a houseboat down the Amazon. He's an amazing, awesome. He's amazing. He he is the craziest. Um, we're in the West coast, Eugene, Oregon. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, so I'm out there and, um, we bring this website to life and we actually start selling feather hair extensions. Now, let me, let me explain this. It was a fly fishing store. And so we took his entire inventory and brought it online. We, we coupled it with a blog that had, you can still see it, uh, caddisflyshop.com, oregonflyfishingblog.com still exists to this day. And you can see me and it's crazy. Wow. Regardless, someone goes on American Idol and has hair extensions made of feathers and the boom is on and so all these fly companies run out of feathers this is like 2009 we literally are selling wholesale buying and selling tens of thousands of feathers a week chris ends up buying cedar lodge in new zealand those are meant to be those are meant to be for fishing those are my people are I was going to say, was it really you who went on American Idol if where I you would. saw Are you kidding me? Uh, in advance? You're yeah. like, if I go on there, I'm going to let them hear this songbird voice, Ooh. but I rock these uh, hair right. extensions. So it's, we can jumpstart this We could get this This ripping. new world created within that fly fishing company. I mean, we're talking, we're talking, it's, it's like, you know, the scenes from uh, Scarface where you're walking in the bank with the cash. Right. Same thing. It's, it's out of control. Like, you know, wow. the montage with all the money counting and people. Are That's like out. when Shaquille O'Neal goes to a restaurant, you know, in, <laughs> in like sort of nowhere USA. Yeah. And just says, like, yeah. this was a great restaurant on Twitter. And the next thing you know, the line's out the door. Line's out the door, baby. <laughs> and so wild. you're caught up in feather money, you know, and, 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 and you know, you're, you're a damn chicken broker and, and it's out of control. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I I found myself, and I'm doing like whale watching trips, and it, like, you know, honey, we're putting in a pool. No, we got that I, feather oh, money. I, I, I always just, thought it would be from the scales, but it's actually I, the feathers. Yeah, I was I, I was I was single at the time. Okay, my wife and I, we again, you know, <clears throat> we we taken a, a break, and you know, we again, we were not married at the time. So, um, uh, yeah, so it was a it was a tricky time for a young maid stands right. And what I found myself was like, okay, I do not want to be 30 years old. Um, living in Portland with a hen. Uh, I need to get back to Cleveland right now. Like, uh, this is getting too crazy. The feather cash has gone to my head. Uh, no, I, I needed to come back. And when I came back, I uh, was lucky enough to meet uh, Joe, mm-hmm. Joe Haddad, uh, co-founder of University Tees. Sure. Uh, and it, it was... We, you know, it was the day before Thanksgiving. He and I were at a crazy... Speaking of feathers. Yeah. And birds. Right. Yeah. My man, right? So why is the bird the logo? Why do you why do you think? Does anybody know why bird's logo at University Tees? I don't know. No, I never actually thought about that. Okay. Bird is the most universally recognized logo of any college, right? So it's a falcon. Oh, it's an eagle. I gotcha. It's okay. the cardinal, right? Like yeah. It's, yeah. Like, the yeah. blue hens. Blue right. hen. Come yeah. on. Delaware. Right. What year was this that you came back to Cleveland? Oh nine, okay, okay, right? oh nine and going into oh ten. So we we have that in common. I was West Coast yeah. for nearly a decade, and like coming Ooh. back to Cleveland, right? I have an appreciation for it I wouldn't have had had I not left. I understand. I love this place, right? 
there's also days that I wake up and I'm like, please be Ugh. San Diego again. Right. Please. Oh, it's it's yeah. our lovely Here Cleveland. Are. Here we are. Slush. Uh, when it rains, Nate is like, oh, or- Oregon. This is Oregon. Great. Yeah, right. we're here. I love it. Um, so how did you podcast, meet Joe? You know, we, we, we had a mutual friend who gotcha. said we all got to go out and go go get loose as a goose. And and that happened. And, and, you know, we went out and I was looking at different opportunities. I was doing some consulting in the HR space again. Um, and Joe was like, hey, we have a, uh, this position opened. And I said, okay. And I came in and I interviewed for it. And I said, you know, he's like, you know, I don't know if we have room. And, you know, I was just like, I don't care. I'll take the job. I didn't mm-hmm. ask what it paid. It didn't matter. And part of my job with them was to expand uh, reach, right? And, and so, you know, University Tees, basically, we have a rep program um, that is about 700 strong, uh, at least it was when I left, probably about similar numbers now, uh, on about 200 plus college campuses across the U.S., right? And, and so we run a sales program. I still use we, right? Um, because my DNA is in there, right? No doubt. And so... When I came in, you know, we probably had, I mean, I'm not here to blow the horn, but whatever. Like, we had probably 100 reps, and half would pick up the phone. Mm-hmm. Um, and we built from there. And, and the print shop and our internal teams, um, we were probably about a dozen employees, I'd call it. And we got it up to about 200-ish, right? Um and it was a great ride. And, and so awesome. you're still in the industrial space because you're pre- screen printing, you're embroidering, an, an amazing culture, amazing company. Yep. Uh, shout out to Brett, Nick, and all the team members over there. I mean, they're, they're great people. And um, that's really where we met Ron and started the journey with EOS as well. Sure. Um, but you were able to really make an impact and help companies grow and, and expand and, and just kind of, you know, understand the EOS journey, and, and which has brought me... You know, I knew I was leaving university tees. I, I put in a two-year notice, right? And I I really wanted to go out, and it's not that there wasn't room for me there. There certainly was. Um, it's hard hardest professional decision I've ever had to make. Um, but what I found was I was holding people back, uh, successors to my role, um, that uh, I was a drag on the P&L given the amount of lift we needed from a talent acquisition standpoint the processes were well in place uh Mm -hmm. perpetuated by people who were not me probably administratively stronger right leadership you know uh it needs to grow right and so you say oh nate we always need your leadership well if i'm here that other leader can't grow into into being that person um and so i told you know, I, I remember telling Joe, I said, hey, look, I'm going to I'm going to go into back to agency life, um, try to make an impact on smaller businesses, try to make a, a difference, uh, you know, on, on businesses that are we're on our journey. Right. Um, pandemic hits and we unwind. Eight, nine years of work. OK, um, so I say a two year notice because I really was going to be out within six months of that conversation. It ended up being two years because that was January of 20. Gotcha. I guess, what year was that? 2020? 2020. Okay. Yeah. And we had that conversation. And I anticipated being Down out. Later that year. Well, yeah, then... exactly. And we discussed what that would look like and, and, and all that. And, um, you know, but then the pandemic hits. And, you know, in a matter of two weeks, some of the toughest stuff I've, I've ever had to do. And I've been a part of a lot of difficult conversations. Um, 
let's frame this because we're going to ask it anyway. Okay. I have a feeling I, I know, you know, you, you may share a little bit more where you're going with it. We talk all the time on this podcast about charging into the storm, dealing with difficult things head on. Yeah. Uh, when there is a seemingly more comfortable, desirable path, trusting your body and recognizing mm, short-term pain yeah. or long-lasting pain, and you kind of deal with it. Here's here's my piece of advice for everybody who's going to inevitably have to deal with this stuff. Crisis management, um, you know, the proverbial plane has hit the mountain. You're, you're going to survive, God willing, as a business. Um, there are no heroes in the leadership seat. Except that, that doesn't mean you operate any different. You operate with compassion, clarity, path of, you know, most information, most compassion. But you must accept, uh, especially in the pandemic, the best, the best this is going to be is a 6 out of 10. And the reason I give it a 6 out of 10 as the best is you're operating without all the facts. So you are asked as a leader to make decisions without any kind of idea of what this is going to look like or you're in an unprecedented business cycle. And so if you make more right decisions than wrong, which is awesome, which is a great job, you're at a 6 no one would accept a six out of 10. And so you are destined to be the villain. But recognize you are the villain of circumstance. And that should not turn you into a villain. That you still must go through every interaction with compassion, with your heart full, knowing it's going to hurt, knowing you're not going to be good at this. This is one thing people say to me all the time that terrifies me. They're like, you're pretty good at this. Like anytime I have to let someone go, anytime I have to have a tough call, like, oh, Nate, you're good at this. What they don't realize is I don't sleep the night before. I may not sleep days before. Yeah. I'm sick afterward. And, and that's good. You should suck at you this. This sucks. It. And so. Yeah, if you're too good, too polished, uh, it's too easy for you. Right? That probably means be, you don't care a lot. Or, right. Having a lot know. of empathy is, right, it can be to a detriment personally for a benefit of others, right? Where you do put yourself in their shoes and understand almost to a degree of like it causing you pain. Oh boy. But still you hit on the compassion yeah. piece. I think people often recognize that and miss out on the clarity piece though, when that's what others really need is I'll give you I'll give you my blueprint for letting someone go and it's pretty it's pretty short. Keep it keep it short. Make sure we deal in absolutes. An absolute would be, after this meeting, you're terminated. That's one of the things I lead with. Hey, look, let's just take the air out of this balloon. Yeah. This is it. Okay? Leave no uncertainty. Hey, yeah. If, if you want to do an autopsy at some point, that's fine. Today's not that day. Because you need to hear this information, and I need to help you understand exactly what's going on so that you can have... A little bit of grace about this. Me too, right? You can get everything you need to be successful in your transition, which starts right now. And so we can talk about what happened, but that's not serving us. We should talk about what is happening now and what steps we need to take in order to get you out of this interaction 
and subsequent interactions with as, as intact as possible. So knowing this, here is exactly what is going on. Here's why this is your last minute here. Here is all the paperwork you are going to need. You have my information. You have uh, other people's information. If you do not feel comfortable coming to me when it comes to like COBRA coverage, when it comes to continuing payment if necessary, when it comes to references, I am happy to give you an appropriate reference. And here's a picture of your desk. What off of there do I need to put in a box for you? Hmm. Leaves no room for interpretation. I understand it's probably not something that you, this isn't this a personal isn't attack. Decision. Right. All well, right. Uh, right. But I own this, right? But you own it. Right. In the sense of you, you, it's not they told me to do this or something. Right. In that conversation, you're, you're the person. The longer. And you have to live with that. You and absolutely need to get them out. You need to get them out of the building. You cannot let that, that information is just hit. Boom. Yeah, you said the last minute. Like, do you actually we, say that? Uh, have you said right for sure? I want, I want because what's happening behind the scenes is everything's being turned off. Absolutely, everything is getting scrubbed. Right. You know, and people look at this and they go, "Oh my gosh, that is so cold." Yeah. Yes, it is. It is because that's the job. We need to let people move on. Uh, would you rather what? What exactly? What? What? What exactly, remember the six out of 10? Because I'll tell you what the four looks like. The four is an all-out fight. The four is slash tires. The four is a, a Jerry Maguire moment on your floor. Which would you rather have? Just show a, me the money. A cold moment? six. No, like who's show going me with me? Money? Like someone taking the damn fish. Right. By the way, well, great, there's not a lot of upside. Perfect, yeah. There's no upside. Seems like there's not a lot of upside right. to dragging yeah. it out. No, and, and no. guessing, like, guess trying to get inside somebody's head and guessing what how they're going to react and what they're going to do because Let's probably see. I would think nine times out of ten someone's going to be an adult about it or they're going to go absolutely do the right thing. But no that doubt. one time out of ten, that person has got an axe to grind already, right. or they're. Well, they're right. like, and if you do those things with consistency, it's not that. Bing, listen, I'm yeah. saying you're a red flag, or bing, I have. I was just wronged here, so yeah. let me fire off a couple emails right. before I'm out right, the right, door right. to some customers right. or some clients about what I really think about this company. Blah blah blah. We think about continuity as well. We think about your team that's left behind because that's who really you've got to turn your attention to. Yes, you have this one interaction that matters a great deal, but you have an entire room full of people that you now have to explain this to and you need to explain it well and there can be no gray area. And so that level of coldness, that level of preparedness is to also give the situation the gravity it deserves and to almost allow the team to mourn the loss of a team member, whether that's good or bad. And so there needs to be a degree of, of rigor and, um, you know, almost, uh, you know, a, a ritual around it. I know that's not a good word to use, but like for people to move on, you know, they, they need to kind of have an, an idea as to what this looks like. Otherwise, I might be sitting there thinking, am I next? Absolutely. Right? No. Hey, here were the cuts. Yeah. Here's why the cuts happened. Here's what will prevent us from having future cuts. 
And if you get cuts, here's what to expect. And there's there's all these little storms in a sense inside of what you just shared because it's not only making the decision yeah. before it's made for you right. by doing the uncomfortable thing, but then also addressing it head on with your team, mm. with the others to, to show that you value transparency, show right. that you you know, value them, and also just having enough emotional intelligence to realize people are going to be thinking all sorts of different things mm. if I don't give them one source of truth. Right. Yeah, they will fill in gaps. Right. <laughs> There's right. any gaps between truths. Yeah. <laughs> I told get you filled after that one meeting. With assumptions uh, and anxiety and all that. Um, so would you say that that's one of the biggest, if not the biggest storm you face in your career? No, I mean, you know, certainly one of the biggest, right? Sure. Like, I, I, that I, could be positive or negative too. You know, when yeah. we talk about storms, sometimes it's a great opportunity that you charge head on into sometimes. We wrote an article know, recently and it was... Um, in a, in a publication, like people managing people. And it was like, how do you manage change? How do you manage um, internal challenges, right? And, and so when you think about finding the upside, um, as a business, when you're faced with issues like that, let's like take it down a notch from a pandemic. Let's take it to like, we're having a season of the business where restructuring is in order. Okay, that happens. So instead of how do we position ourselves for the future, right? Like how do we make one big change that then allows us to digest and move on? And so when I think about companies and, and how they tackle changes or change management, you need to cut or make adjustments to the point at which you're excited about whatever is next. Because if you're just cutting, just cut costs, or just cutting uh, to kind of get out of some short-term challenges, um, that, that will come with some baggage. I would recommend anyone who's in a season of restructuring or a season of really challenging systemic changes that are needed to cut to a point where you're now excited again to go to work. Um, you're not f- fearing or just the doom, the impending doom of, What's the next cut? Needing to cut again because you didn't cut? go far enough. Right. You, you flirted with yeah. this uncomfortable thing and it. tried to minimize it. Mm-hmm. And now you get to live it all over again. Right. And your team's living it. Yeah. And, and, and then it'll eventually it'll kill and you. And realizing this yeah. is now a pattern. Yeah. It's going to happen sure. again. It wasn't this cliff yeah. event or this mm-hmm. new direction. Well, it's just yeah. the new norm. Well, you know how if you're in the storm too, you know, you're not going to get through it unless you keep moving. And it feels to me like what you just said about being excited about the future might empower or give us that extra fuel to continue to move so that you do get through it instead of get caught up in it and basically end up staying underneath, you know, those rain clouds for the long. Pointing that out to others. Well, right. And it's going to allow people to come off the bus too, who aren't excited about that shared vision, right? Like when you think about a big change and you, you are very intentional about what the future does look like and why you're excited, there will be a opposite excitement sure right. so it's not enough to right. go out in front of your company and say um hey we got to cut some costs right we had to make some tough decisions because we have to cut some costs if you don't finish that sentence with but right. here's what we're cutting yes. costs for yeah right. here's the exciting part of the future yes. that we all are a part of you know i need everybody here on board here's how you contribute to that that's, you know you wouldn't be in this room if you weren't part of that future vision right like to me that doesn't cost anything to say but you also have to you have to you have to be, to be ready. thought out. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. you have to be ready. And you're a galvanizer. 
You know, we talk about like Kimberly introduced us to the six types of working sure. genius and that being one of these components of strong leadership or of uh, it's a certain strength for some people more than others that rallying around whatever's next because not everyone's going to be optimistic. Not everyone's oh, sure. going to see silver lining. And those so are your next do, cuts. Right. And that no, 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 I mean it. And that's okay. If they don't have that right. willingness yeah. to see the good in things. Right. But it still helps to like to your point to share it. When you are in that situation, I think by identifying it, rallying people around it, like that's what I mean by galvanizing mm-hmm. the team. Because there's some folks that might not see it clearly in that moment, but are close enough that you can get them there and they aren't part of the next cuts, right? Right. Um, well, you're always growing as an organization. It's whether you're growing together or growing apart. Yeah. That's it. Good you're point. always growing. And so you think about, and I mean that like wholeheartedly, right? If you make these changes and you have a couple outliers who are like, I just don't think this is for me. That's amazing. And you give them a ton of grace and you help them find the next thing for them. Because the sign of a, a growing culture, right? This mosaic, I describe companies as a mosaic right? Like as a leader in an organization, your job is to take these irregular pieces and make something beautiful. That's it. That is your only job. And sometimes that picture gets a little foggy. Sometimes that picture is a little unclear. And so you need to adjust the pieces. And these great pieces that were a part of that former picture, well, they may not just, they may not fit right. And, and, And they're still great. And you're still, you still care for them. But it's coming at the expense of the new pieces that fit perfectly. Healthy turnover is a real thing. It is. And like we, we believe moving on and being honorable enough to either identify it when your heart's right. not in it or to ask the right questions to help uncover right. what that is, like, that that's actually an act of kindness. That's uh, 100%. An act of care. Right. And by shutting up about it and not saying a damn thing, letting it just live on while it might feel like you're being less mean by, you know, putting this person in the situation in a sense, you didn't put them there, but by addressing it, it, you know, that that is actually selfish. It's not the selfless act that we tell ourselves it is right. It's not kind. If it's not a, you know, Ron says this, he said this, you know, he's like, look, if, if you're not hell yes about this company, if you're not hell yes about this amazing opportunity, uh, and you're also not like hell no, you're only, you're in hell. Yeah. You're living there. And you think to yourself, okay, and that stuck with me because I think that's where a lot of employees and team members, right, are. Like, maybe, maybe they're like, oof. Yeah, I... I, this is an okay job, but this isn't a terrible job. It's just enough. And this is just a, yep. and as a leader, you're sitting there and you're looking at your people, and you're you know it's a, if you feel that way, you deserve. If you've got the ability, and not everyone, this is so, such a privileged comment, but you know, screw it. Here we go. If you've got the ability to be in a hell yes scenario every single day, you owe it to yourself. It is a sin not to be. It, it is. And so everyone's got bills to pay. Everyone's got things that people, whatever, depend on them. I get that. It's not a reality for everyone. But if it's a reality for you, it's inexcusable. You can put more positivity into the world, make a bigger impact on others, 
if you're in a situation where your yes. cup is full, yeah, where you love what you're doing, bingo. Right? I think part of our message to clients too, and when we're coaching people one on one too, we get a lot of people that are in a difficult situation, or maybe they think they're a hell yes at the company, but their work life is completely out of sure. whack, and they don't have any time to do things outside of work. And what I try to encourage them, and what we try to coach people that. It may not be a tomorrow thing, but let's talk sure. about a year from now. Right. Can we be in a hell yes, full life situation right. compared to where we are today or two years from now? And there's some options out there and let's, let's, you know, do some little actions and be accountable to those day by day, week by week, month right. by month. And you will, you know, you can eventually design your life in a way that is a hell yes situation. So, no doubt. you know, I think there's hope for just about anybody, you know, regardless of, you know, position that we're currently in and bills yeah. that we currently have to pay. And I think it's worth taking that action. It just requires patience and mm -hmm. some of that long-term thinking, which is difficult, you know, because myself included, I want that instant gratification sometimes. Well, and so. things, things are, things are, things are good. You know what I mean? Like it's mm -hmm. scary, man. It's like, like, okay, like, all right, I'm going to go after this hell yeah situation. Okay, we're well, going to put yourself out there a little bit. You're, you're going to get beat up a little bit. True. Like, these things happen. You'll right? get How humbled. many times have yeah. you heard so, the grass isn't always no, greener? I know. Or you got to go backwards and pay for a little sure, bit. Or trust. You, you got to trust your, trust your instincts. Mm -hmm. Trust your body. You know if you're honest with yourself. Right. Right? Right. Uh, even if you've not yet experienced it. Unfortunately, I've talked to a lot of people, too, where they just, they don't see that hell yes as even a possibility because of how experiences have shaped their beliefs and the experiences right. they've had have been with nothing but either a poor culture or a horrible uh, leader or just work that didn't align with their instinctive strengths and their exactly. like, unique ability. Right. On the flip side of that, peak leadership. The people who have lifted you up or given you, influenced you in some formative oh way, given yeah. you belief. You've mentioned quite a few people. It sounds like you've been fortunate enough, yeah. like Pete and I, to have been exposed to some people that you hold in the highest regard I do. where they said, or more importantly, did something yeah. that stuck with you and became a part of you. What do you think of when you, if I say the you know phrase, who is your peak leader? And, yeah. or, and what are the, more importantly, if you, right. I feel like you will probably say their name, uh, but what are the characteristics of them that stood out most and that you've strived to emulate? So first off, you know, for me, it's it's my parents, and, and that's kind of a cop-out, but we start there, right? Like, my parents gave me uh, a great foundation and um, are the cornerstone for how I raise my kids and how I conduct myself. Um, if we're talking in professional settings... Um, well, what is it about your parents, real quick, just in terms yeah, of that sure, you've sure, tried sure. to um, employ in your you own know, parenting uh, skills? My mom didn't take any crap, for the most part, right? Like, um, you know, uh, just all the love in the world, but, um, you know, she's not the type not to say something, right? Like, which I think is problematic for some people, not for me. I'd rather know where we stand. I'd rather have the fight, you know, and, and I give my mom a lot of credit for that because um, saying everything's fine or, or accepting things and yet they aren't is toxic. Yeah. Um, and then my dad, you know, my dad was really clear with what, what the expectations were. He, um, he also let me run. Right. He also let me kind of do my thing and, and was hands off in that regard. Um, but I knew I know where he stands. He also held himself to a higher standard, you know, mm -hmm. and both my parents worked. They were first generation college graduates, um, lived in less than ideal circumstances. I mean, you know, they did not grow up. You know, they grew up poor, straight up. 
you know, put themselves through school. Um, and, you know, we went for nothing. You know, my brother and I um, had an amazing childhood and had a ma- great education and great role models. And that's not the case for everybody. And, and to this day, uh, they're happily married, uh, you know, very much a part of our life. And continue to be a model for, you know, grandparents, spouses. Um, you know, my dad will sit on the occasional board meeting, which is funny. Um, sure. You know, but, you know, you think about like that. So that comes first. And then when we think about leadership, um, I would, so I got my first opportunity I was in the back of a semi-truck loading it at night for FedEx. And I was thinking I was going to go into the military, right? And I'd taken my physical, I'd taken my maps, I'd scored and gotten into the programs I wanted to. No kidding, which branch? I I didn't care. Oh, okay. Right? I was going to Kent State and I was doing fine. But, you know, I grew up in, you know, semi-suburban, rural, mostly rural Ohio. It was like, uh, no offense, but what enterprise am I going to work at? Like, give me a break. Like, what about that is inspiring, right? They <laughs> like, give you the tools to be your own boss. Give me right? a break. I'll I'm pick out. you up. Like, right. Like, you're talking to the dude that went to work for the fish company. I'm, I'm, not a, saying, I'm a business plus member, by the way, from Enterprise. So I do uh, like Enterprise. Hey, I this, can't this help segment. use that quote <laughs> this, either. This, uh, they give you the tools to be your own boss. Yeah. I have a friend who has worked with Enterprise a long time. And oh, man. It's like great corporate structure and they've given me the tools, Joe. I'm like, I bet they have. <laughs> I, I would chain smoke every day while washing them cars, man. It would be a problem. It would be such a problem. I, it would be, there'd be issues. You would see me. It'd be, it would be terrifying. So I'm like military, here we go. I like a short haircut. Like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I was a good yeah. uh, athlete. I can run. That. Yeah, I can run. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Uh, so I start. You know, I quit my uh, job at Dick's, get my life together, uh, and I start loading semi-trucks at night um, because that's, that sounded terrible, mm. you know, frankly. So five days a week, I'm stacking semis with uh, boxes mostly from uh, medical suppliers. So it was like wheelchairs and stuff. It was heavy crap. Interesting. Yeah, right? Invacare, uh, a few other places. They would just be like whole, and, and after a couple months, they're like, you know, you know, holy crap, you're still here and you've trained everybody. I'm like, yeah. And then they would come to my campus and I knew everybody and, and mm. I would help them recruit. And Kiara Bunch um, took a chance on me and she's like, hey, you know, why don't, why don't you come in, do some campus recruiting, do some HR stuff, I'll show you the ropes. And she stuck with me, literally plucking me out of the back of a semi truck. And she stuck with me for years and years. And dealt with my deficiencies as a professional. And correct, corrected me when I needed correcting. Let me run when I needed to run. And moreover, gave me the opportunity to expand who I was as a person and a professional. Because she saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. And it was my ability to influence others my ability to get the job done, have fun in any kind of difficult environment. And um, to this day, uh, all credit for any kind of professional stuff has to, has to start and end with her. Um, and, uh, you know, 
as a result, uh, I was able to kind of get a, a clarity on where I wanted to be. And, um, you know, she's a special human, uh, very understanding, clearly. Uh, <laughs> Definitely. But, um, oh, and then along the way, you know, you've got um, Kurt Krager, Robert Walters, uh, Beth Jacobson. As Castle Integration, she taught me a lot about, like, what she would not tolerate from a resume, right? Peter Cadell is always my shoulder cry on. He, like, is now HR manager at Ez, but was like a heavy hitter at Microsoft for a while. Mm -hmm. um, you've got um, Chris Daughters, Cass Flyshop, amazing human, you know, just an absolute monster in the industry and really showed me the entrepreneurial side, what it would take if you wanted to chase a passion. And the answer is mm -hmm. if you do have a passion that, you're, that you think you want to turn into a career, let me tell you something, you gotta be, you got to have like five revenue streams within that passion. You, gotta, you absolutely must be a hustler. It cannot be linear. It can't be... Mm -hmm. I want to do X and I'm going to be a rock climber all day. No, dude. No, 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 no. It needs to be, I'm going to sell the shoes for rock climbing. I'm going to host the trips for rock climbing. I'm going to like, you absolutely have to find all the ways you can make money off this and live it. And that's the only way it works. And that's what Chris gave me. And, and he's living it and he's great. And he's a great human. He's a, like a hyper entrepreneurial dude. Cool. Um, he's the feather king. He's the feather the king, United baby. States? He was, okay. he was, um, uh, some some close friends of mine. I mean, you've got uh, you know Nick Simmons, who's two time Olympic athlete, was my roommate out in Oregon. Um, I didn't have any friends out there, and basically, I, I met the guy that had the key to the city. Okay, for real, under his bed. Okay, what? Yeah, so it was wow. a physical key. He has the actual. He's plaque. like a modern day Steve Prefontaine. We would run the Prefontaine trail no way, together. Really? He, look him up, you know. And he and I were good fishing buddies. He, yeah, he's from Boise, Idaho. Came into the shop. I took him and his dad fishing, right? And, he, you know, he, had he I'm like, so what's your deal? I'm like, I just moved here from New York. He's like, cool, yeah, you know, I'm here training with the Nike team. I'm like, what the hell does that mean? He's That's like, crazy. I just got here from Beijing. I'm like, <laughs> okay. They're like, I ran cross-country in yeah, high school. Dude, don't <laughs> even go there. And, and, like, literally we go partying, like, two months, not even later, and then we're living together for years. And so, and he and I are still super tight. Like, That's awesome. super tight. Yeah. But, like, Nick, you know, like you know, gave me a lot of, you know, it was a lonely time out there, dude. Like, I you know, um, by the way, I mentioned Prefontaine. Yeah. I didn't know, I didn't know much about him until I read the, the book Shoe Dog. So oh, if you've sure. not read that book, it's the history of Nike yeah. and how the company started yeah. and how Phil Knight started the, and it was just a running shoe company, which I didn't even know. It was called Blue Ribbon Sports mm. when it first started. And Prefontaine was the first athlete who was, who was basically signed to Nike and he was, yeah, he just was a like monster. a legend. He's a and legend. I didn't realize He's that. He's still and a legend. Unfortunately, passed away in a car accident when he yeah. was really young. But and that yeah. um, was like a like a celebrity runner, which I didn't even know. And he was sure. up in the Eugene area, yeah. I believe. No, wow. it's it's still a thing. Man. Yeah, and Prefontaine is still alive and well. And and then you go, the list goes on. You got you know Nick and Joe at University Tees, and and um, you know you got my brother who's been a big influence in my life. He's professionally works in the technology sector and. You know, all these people, right? Like, you kind of look through, and the list could go on and on, but yep. this is the reason why I'm here today. I think uh, you used the word amalgamation. Yes. I was going to say, all right, two points of view can spell word. the next one's wrong. Right. Amalgamation, zeitgeist. I was going to throw oh, one more no. in there. I'm sure you'd spell okay. it right. Yeah. But uh, no, I think we are an amalgamation of all of the leaders we've sure. been fortunate enough to be exposed to. And if we can pick one or two of the characteristics that meant most to us that were most persistently demonstrated by that person you know we, we kind of put them all together and uh, are a product of 
that in that network, right? Well, and and me, of that influence. Let me piggyback on this thought. Yeah. For any leader out there, the best thing about my job, and so right now, I'm managing director for an agency that serves the industrial sector, right? Like, so I did end up leaving university tees and, and, and joining Rust Belt Recruiting mm-hmm. and Taylor Evans because I thought we could get there faster together. And he had a great brand. He's been, you know, around for five years and I've been there for two. Perfect segue, um, by the way. I wanted to get it. Uh, yeah, but, but here's, here's my thing. If you're a leader right now, the best thing I can do is help other people become their best selves. Like that's what like gets gets it really going for me. It's like how can we help each other? How can we pluck that person out of the back of the truck? How can we give them that opportunity? Because that's what it takes. Yeah, that's all it is. You just got to give someone a shot. The first the the first example you shared like that resonated yeah. in such a big way because it, the somebody seeing something in you that you mm-hmm. don't yet recognize in yourself that I believe in you. And I'm going to help you realize it, making space for you to learn like that Mm -hmm. autonomy and empowerment. So often, instead of just telling people the way or, you know, giving them the ABC of how to get there, you give them some broad brush, you know, direction, ask them a couple questions, let them learn. They'll rise to the occasion. Sure. Right. And that's when you find those that you continue to invest in. Right. And the other thing that you said was about. Um, well, hell, I lost my train of thought, but right. I think it was around making yeah, space. Thing. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. um, that, that hit home in such a way. Cause I had a very similar, sure. in my formative years, <laughs> somebody who's like, Hey kid, you kinda, you got something going, right. You're in the kind of a shit situation sure. now. What I can tell you is if you make this move, it, it's not, I can't give you a better title. Can't give you more pay, anything right. like that. Uh, you're going to have to take a little bit of a risk, right. but I promise you, if you do the things I feel like you're capable of doing, you're I'll get you there. Yeah. And like so much learning and yep. respect. And I'll talk more about it in another one, but John Henderson from yeah. uh, Sony Electronics. That was the one who first believed in me in that way. And, you know, to your point, if we can, if we can help other people get better. You have to. Hopefully we'll get better and. Yeah. in turn, right? Because we realize we can learn from everything. Yeah. It doesn't matter growth stage, career stage, or any of that sort of stuff, right? The best thing professionally in my career has been helping uh, people find their way. Joe Musgrave is a prime example. Um, yeah, I remember Joe. Yeah, you know, um, and uh, I miss working with him every day. And, you know, my team right now has been with me for a few years, and I care deeply about them. And um I get called, um, <laughs> I get called woke all the time. <laughs> and then I say, no, 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 no. You're, you're confusing. You're confusing. You got it almost there. I said, I'm wolf. I'm wolf because I'm the wolf at the door telling you to how to keep me away because I'm coming for your people. Mm. I promise. Call me woke again. <laughs> I'll have them Call all. Call me woke one more time. Call me woke one more time. I will take every person from here. <laughs> Put them in a better situation for themselves. I play, yeah, we play a few hundred a year. We're not mm. messing around. Not messing and around. you're still intimately involved. I was asking Hell, yeah. you before. I'm running the search right now. And I have respect for that. I have appreciation as well to stay in touch with 
Like oh, keep yeah. pulse of what's happening, stay involved when it's the team things of high it. priority. The I'm team sure. absolutely hates it. Because I'm like walking <laughs> around like Michael Jordan. They're like, yeah, right. You get like and one search and this dude, you know. You can take it too far too if you get oh, to that amazing. micromanagement level. Instead of empowering, I got a, a feeling that's not the no, case. God, no. But it, it's just that, that blend between working in the business mm-hmm. and still stepping back and working on the business the way that, you know, I've interacted with you and right. seen you. I love recruiting. I love recruiting. It comes natural. I can't help it. Um, it's the best thing you can do professionally. It's so much fun. I know people hate it, but like whatever. Um, when done properly, uh, there is no other job where you can go from absolute zero to hero so fast. When you can connect <laughs> two things that yeah. oh, it's benefit great. each other mm-hmm. So perfectly, you can change a life. You know? it, it, every day, it's, it's, a, it's a high every day. from it, right? It's Whether crazy. it's on your own team right. or yeah. somewhere, yeah. like yeah. you're invested in the success of right. that human and yep. the other humans at that company. Yep. And to marry the two, hell yeah. Well, we mm-hmm. we feel similar when we can connect two clients together. Sure. We'll say, 100%. hey, you're telling me that you might need this. I have a client that actually does that also. That's your professional baby. It's exciting, right. yeah. Right. Because you're adding value or being helpful and right. Or more of a marriage. Just want to connect. Yeah. Just want to connect people, right? right. Uh, I, I also, you hit on something, and I feel like it's a parallel between how we do business, how you do business, sure. and something that we, many have been burned by some sort of an agency, firm, consultant relationship, mm. or, you know, for whatever reason, whether it was more their fault or that of the, the service provider, whatever. Yeah. So a, a recurring theme between the ones that I've had the best success with and something we strive to be, something I, I heard the sentiment expressed there. If it is openly acknowledged and agreed upon, we are meant to serve you, yeah, not to please you. That's correct. So with that, there's going to be some things that we say, mm, slow down. Right. I know you're saying you want ABC, you want these 10 things, but if we rush towards that too quickly, it is going to take longer. Yeah. You're not going to get as good of a result. Right. So this step that seems like it's mm-hmm. arduous or yeah. slowing us down, it exists for a reason. We right. need to understand you, and that will give us more speed, more effectiveness right. as we go. Exactly. Right? And and something I tell a lot of people is like, I can't change your perception of this. I can't change your experience. I, I think of it like this: Would you, if you had an, if you had a, if budget wasn't a thing, okay. And you thought, hey, I need to add a recruiter to this team on contingency. Would you hire us? And, and I would say that we'd stack up against any recruiters anywhere. And that's the beauty in our team. Um, I think people would love to have us. And so we run on retained, some contingent, it all kind of depends. Um, but that puts us at a disadvantage because if you don't run it our way, well, we don't get paid, right? Like if we don't, the outcome isn't what we need, you know? So like for us, we absolutely have to run it our way or or unfortunately we can't work together until you're ready. Yeah, that's you responsible. Know? That's how you stay healthy yeah. as a business and by being clear about that. Yeah, avoid getting taken advantage of and well, all that kind of thing. Yeah, it, or, or like distorting the, pro, you know, sure. it's like the... Um, what do they say? It's like manifesting the terrible experience. You know, <laughs> right. it's like I had this terrible experience, but I won't work with you this different way. It's like, well, what the hell? Like, you, you should yeah. only expect a terrible experience. Well, it's to then. their detriment too, and right. You know, 
it can unfairly put a bad name on the industry yeah, as well. Oh, if sure. you know, if yeah, the industry's tough. Expectations we, are not lined up. That's not one that comes without learning through the pain <laughs> of when somebody's not a fit. Right. Right. We've talked about this oh, on yeah. a couple episodes so far, whether it be firing a client, whether yep. it be never taking them on, whether yep. it be saying, I'm not the best fit and want to introduce you to somebody sure. or recommend you do this internally. Sure. Why do you want me? I, like I'll, to be very clear yeah. about that, who you work with, right? On, on our sales calls, it's mostly that. It's mostly like, well, what are you doing internally? And why do you think you have this challenge? And how is this that or that? What, what's going on? Because plenty of times we'll be like, well, yeah, we, we can't, we can't, we can't solve that. This is the pay is off. The the job is off. The scope is something like if you want to work with us, we're not miracle workers. There's not like a secret candidate pool that we're going to pull from. The one thing we can solve is more that project management and intentionality. And yes, we have the tools and yes, we have the know-how. But all that in the world isn't going to change what you are and what you're offering right. as an employee. They you have see to these? Start there. These are the Glen Gary candidates. Yeah. You, you don't, don't get these. You don't get those. Unless you're a closer. <laughs> right. Focus on culture. Yep. Right? Because from that comes better retention, yeah. better attraction, your people. better results. Right. It's what your people deserve. Leaders are at the center of it. Center right. of it. Right. That's why we do this. That's why we do all that we do. Right. Is if we can arm people through better awareness, better tools, uh, a kick in the ass. Oh, sure. And some accountability sometime to shift perspective and help them realize the unintended consequences, what they do. It's going to lead to less shitty leaders, better workplace cultures in a lot of places. You have an active hand in that as well. Thank you for the work that you do. What else can you tell listeners? about getting in touch with you. Sure. Is there anything from Rust Belt Recruiting in terms of uh, resources? Yeah. Or I'd seen a, we I'd just seen put a playbook. A white, we just put a like, playbook out or a white paper out that kind of illustrates our process in detail. It's on LinkedIn. Uh, I think that's a great place to connect with us. Rust Belt Recruiting, um, Taylor Evans, or Nate Stansberry. That's me, obviously. But um, this playbook is is free, available, um, just kind of gives our philosophical view on how we would approach, you know, I guess industry agnostic, but yes, centered towards the industrial sector, Mm -hmm. uh, how we approach talent acquisition. And I think that for an internal team member, um, two things, one, um, you could run with the playbook. Okay. Nothing in there is proprietary. Go for it. Have at it. Or, if you think that this is an approach that uh, your company would embrace or would like to explore further, you can reach out to me um, or Taylor, uh, and and we'd be happy to fill in the blanks because there's a lot, right? Like we 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 had a broad, we painted the playbook uh, with broad strokes, right, so that people could take it and make it their own, yeah, and also so that we can talk, speak to it. Right. But it's the same playbook we're going to run for you and, and, and what we see working. Love it. Great stuff, man. What, uh, what's your email address? Uh, it's Nate S right. So the, uh, there, you know, N A T E S at rustbeltrecruiting.com. Perfect. I'll add a link to the playbook in the yeah. description too. So viewers Come can on. find it or listeners can find it. Right. Uh, I'd love to 
sit down with you again on your sure. charter boat sometime. I think, uh, I think that's in order. Oh, yeah. Woke Nate's. Uh, <laughs> yeah, don't. don't <laughs> <laughs> woke Nate's fishing Woke Nate's has the, <laughs> the fishing department yeah. expert award of mm-hmm. 2000. Uh, four at the Dick Sporting Goods. And Don't do that to me. Mate, you're so many I, things. Let's get out on the this lake. This is the one uh, thing I'm going to get hung up on. Let's get some sporting goods. Let's get some feathers. And let's that's get my MO. Sorry. Like, while I'm self deprecating, is all get out. If I see one oh, thing yeah. I can kind of, yeah. you know, glean onto mm-hmm. or, or grab onto, I just won't let it go. So, sorry, I can't shake it either. But you said wolf in, instead of woke because. Yeah. You're coming for their people if they well, don't yeah, treat them if, right. If they don't treat them right. Yep. Right. That's it. Do the right thing. Yeah. Um, well, thanks again, Nate. Yeah. Thank yeah, it's you. Been a blast, man. That was a quick two hours. It, I will say it went it went a little bit, but I think it was good. Hopefully, people find some real value from this and get in touch with you. I appreciate um, it. We'll, we'll continue to, you know, kind of share the good word of what you guys are doing over there. I'm glad to have gotten to see some of it myself. Pete, any closing thoughts? Anything else you want to hit no, on? No, I just appreciate it, man. I appreciate the approach that you take and the partnership approach and also the timeline that you give because yeah. that that's something that always bothers me about anyone in the service business and sure. our, our own selves included is, you know, if anyone's promising results, yeah. but they don't give any sort of timeline, as a consumer, I'll be thinking, well, how long is this going to take, you sure. know? And as a, uh, a person that, you know, has a short attention span from time to time, you know, we want results and entrepreneurial companies, especially small oh, businesses, yeah. need results need quickly results. Um, because it, a lot of times they can't afford to wait six months or so to fill the type of position they need. So I appreciate both of those things. The partnership, you know, ensuring people do the hard work because a lot of us need the accountability to do the hard work sometimes and to really take a look in, inward, um, but also giving that that suggested or uh, or promised timeline that you know this isn't going to be something that's drawn out forever and you no. could just expect to keep us on retainer for the better part of a decade you right, know right without seeing necessarily results so yeah. the lack of kicking the can down the road to me is a very buffalo-esque charging into the storm part of things and i just appreciate the authenticity and the willingness to go into the background and give us some of the uh you know the, the good the bad and the ugly this is fun well yeah, i appreciate you had a good time with it you know uh, Joe, Pete, you know, I've been an EOS fan for a long time, fan of you both. And, uh, actually I was, uh, I was excited. I, I, Joe, when you were like, Hey, we should do it. I was like, I'm already doing the podcast, man. I'm following (laughs) it. I'm seeing it out there. Nice. Um, but no, I, I appreciate the opportunity. This stuff means a lot to me and, and I'm just, uh, extremely blessed to be able to, to come in here and and share it with, uh, any man out there listening. Love it. Thanks again, folks. One last thing I'll leave you with. If you are at a place that you acknowledge you can't do everything on your own and you realize there are some gaps or things you could probably be doing better in terms of attracting and retaining talent for your business, or you have critical roles that you need to hire for, you don't have the capacity to move with speed the way that your competitors are, call Nate. He'll at the very least point you in the direction. That's right. But I feel like he'll probably have some solutions he can offer you, especially if you're in industrial yeah and within 150 miles of cleveland that's correct all right thanks folks thank you